let's begin with some ideas. I took this idea of the year of worship extremely seriously, as I do with all themes, with all studies. And one of the things that I did is I went through a Bible program and grabbed every time the Bible said the word worship, examined every verse and put them into categories. Then I grabbed every time the word glory came up. Then I grabbed every time it had the word created because I had heard that we were created to worship and I wanted to know if that was biblical or if that's just what someone said. I can tell you with all confidence we were built to worship. We were designed to worship. We were created to worship. If we do not worship, then we are not doing what we were made to do. We're going to spend all today laying the foundation of what we will flesh out for the rest of the year as to what in the world worship is. But I want to begin by doing a little bit of a Bible study here. So would you turn with me to John chapter 4? Turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 19, as we try to figure out what God wants. What does worship mean? What did God say? It's page 753, and the Bible's handed to you, 753. John chapter 4, verse 19. Uh, a little background on this. Right in the heart of Israel, in ancient Israel, was a group of people called the Samaritans. It's intriguing that God had them dwell right in the center of everything because they hated the Jews and the Jews hated them. They were considered by the Jewish people to be half-breeds, who are half-Jewish, half-Gentile. Had to do with some issues in the history where there was intermixing. And the Samaritans kind of had their own identity. They worshipped in a certain place. They had their different Old Testament. They had certain books they didn't include. They had certain viewpoints that the Jews did not share. And so it was absolute animosity. As a matter of fact, Jews, if they ever walked into Samaria, would then shake the dust off their sandals and go, I want nothing about that place on me. And they would walk away. That's why the Good Samaritan story is such a big deal, right? So Jesus walks right into the heart of Samaria and starts talking with a woman at the well. Now, obviously, Jewish men don't talk to women in public, much less rabbis, much less Samaritans. So he broke every possible rule. As he goes in there and he starts engaging with her, he's saying stuff like, I'm living water. And if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink and blah, blah, blah. The whole time she's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And she kept trying to change the subject. Well, then she, unbeknownst to her, starts the subject of what is worship with the Son of God. Well, that's intriguing. So she says this. We pick it up in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. In other words, I keep trying to wiggle out of stuff, and clearly you're not just a regular guy. So let me try this one. Our fathers, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will uh, worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So let's pause right there. What he said was, you lost the argument again. You see, I'm Jewish, and actually God went through the Jews to produce the worship issues, not through the Samaritans, so you lost there. However, let me explain something. I don't think you're seeing this worship thing right. The fact that you're asking me where is not the right question. The fact that we're even talking about 
method is not right. So let me blow this wide open for you, he says. Pick it up in verse 23. A time is coming and has now come with the arrival of Jesus when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You see, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, the woman tries to wiggle out again and she says, well, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, hi, I'm him. So needless to say, she lost every possible argument. So this woman was a little doomed to, uh, to lose over and over and over. Now, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Well, let's hit truth first. It's easier. I believe that worship in truth means you can't remake God and make him whatever you want him to be. You cannot just worship a God of your own creation. As a matter of fact, that's a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. You don't get a chance to just say, I think God is like this. Well, either he is or he isn't. You don't get to just design one that kind of works with your lifestyle. You don't get to alter scripture and only read the portions that you like. Well, I only want to worship a God who's nice. I only want to worship a God who's this. And so you pick and choose your scriptures. That is improper. That is a violation. To worship in truth means worshiping God as he is. Period. How he has revealed himself to be in his word. Totally. But what does it mean to worship in spirit? Maybe for some of us that means worshiping him and loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? Everything that you have. Well, Paul kind of took this term and ran with it. Turn with me to our last passage or second passage. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, page 803. It's two books to the right. So kind of page through, find 803, Romans 12, 1. Very familiar passage to some of us. Probably not so much how we're living, but we know it. Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, meaning in light of who he is and what he has done, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. How do we do that? Next line. Do not conform, do not fit into the mold any longer to the pattern of this world. They don't know how to worship Jesus. They don't even know who he is. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, thinking different thoughts, knowing God differently. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Simply put, the fill in the blank in front of you is this. Let's start with an easy definition. Worship is bringing God the glory he deserves. Worship is bringing God the glory, making him look good, making him famous, displaying him rightly in your mind and around you. That's what worship is. I get really frustrated because our word for the song portion is also worship, and so we're not quite sure what we're talking about. We kind of say, well, I say worship, and you think one thing, and I'm saying another. I wish we had a different word for the music part. That would make everything easier. Because when the Bible talks about worship, very rarely is it talking about music. 
So we have to kind of sort those things out. As a matter of fact, the two things, as I mentioned on the video, there's two huge things I want to accomplish this year. Let me flesh those out. The first one, less important but still very important, is we have to learn what we're doing the first 30, 35 minutes of service. For some of us, we don't get it at all. We actually come in late, usually, and then as we're late, we tolerate the portion waiting for the teaching. So we kind of come in and we go, all right, not my style of music, whatever. Okay, you guys go blah, 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 blah. All right, now, can we get into the word of God? That's how some of us interact. That is a tremendous waste of our time. Um, there are other reasons that we have to go through some things and understand a little bit about what we're doing because we all come from different backgrounds. So some of us will look over and we see somebody just bawling in worship and jumping up and down and excited about God. And the rest of us are like, what's wrong with that dude? Right? I mean, I don't do that. What about that guy? Well, what about that guy? What about that girl? Right? We have to learn what we're doing. So we can engage. I don't want you coming and taking all your time. Our time is very valuable. And you coming out of your house, driving all the way here and having any waste. That's not acceptable to me. So we have to learn a few things. One of those things is learning how to prepare our hearts before we arrive. All right. I completely get it. I arrive here usually around two o'clock. Maybe a little bit before in having to lead worship. I was here earlier yesterday. I am preparing my heart for at least two and a half hours before I ever get up here. Right. I'm thinking about God. I'm engaging with issues. I'm writing material. I'm reading the Bible and I'm having a hard time getting into it. All right. How much more is it difficult for you? You arrive in with all these other thoughts in your mind. You have things on your heart, you have bills to pay, you have worries, you have fears, you have concerns, you're fighting with each other, all these things, then you walk in knowing that you should be here, but you're certainly not ready. It is so common that let me share something sad with you. For most worship leaders, Jake is no exception, the first song to any worship set is considered a wash and waste. We know you're not with us. We know that you're walking in. We know it's background noise for you to come sit down. That is unfortunate. What we need to do is re-rack our lives to where we prepare our hearts that once we hit the building, we're ready to go. So what we did is you, most of you will notice that normally you're right on time and some of you are early and you came in and a video was already rolling. Where did that come from? announcements uh, if you missed announcements it's because it was before service ever started there was a whole video of announcements of what's going on with the church and then it leads through a whole video of getting our hearts ready of going here we go here we go we're doing a countdown we're about to go engage with our lord are you ready then of course we hit boom and we came into worship and engaged right there we need to know how to prepare our hearts and be ready to fly the minute we get here. Another thing that's important for us is trying to figure out why we're doing it in the first place. Does anybody just go bottom line on this and go, I think this is a weird concept. 
Why are we all singing together? Is there any other area of life where you sing and hang out with your friends that can't sing? Anybody ever do that? Do you ever just get together and go, you know what, here's the deal. Uh, I have Wednesday off. Let's go ahead and have coffee and then we'll sing. That'll be awesome. You sing out of key. I'll sing out of key. We'll all hang out together. It'll be awesome. All right. You never do that. Nobody does that. Right. We don't just sing anywhere else. Maybe at a ball game. Take me out of the ball game. Right. Which is always irritating. Right. We don't do that. Even the national anthem. We all just stop singing it and let somebody else sing it. that could do it. Right. We don't just sing in our communities. We don't just sing in our lifestyles. So all of a sudden we come to church and we have to bring in all these different personalities and go, now let's all sing together. You don't have any training. You don't care. It's kind of like, what do we do? What? Why would we do that? That's a dumb idea. All right. For whatever reason, God likes music and God likes you singing to him. He actually commands it in scripture. I know we're not awesome at it. It doesn't matter because God wants your heart. God wants you to have date time with him. You go, well, is all of life about singing worship? No, all your marriage isn't about dates, but sometimes you have to have periodic date day each week to check in together and do something nice. It is date time with God. Where we come in and we say, Lord, I don't want anything from you right now. I am here to bring you an offering. It's not super fantastic. But Lord, I made it myself. Isn't that cool? And then you hand him a little present. That's pretty amazing. That's actually what we're doing. It is not actually about us at all. It's a date time with him. And he said, I would like this. All right. So we got to figure out history. Got to figure out why God loves music. Consider postures of worship. Why do you raise your hands? Why do you kneel down? Why do you... we got to understand this stuff? Otherwise, we're not going to do it. I am very intellectual based. I'm very analytical in nature. So if I don't understand what I'm doing, I'm not doing it because I need you to connect in with me and tell me, what are we doing? Wait a second. Why are we doing that? Because I don't, first of all, I don't want to waste my time. Second of all, I don't want to do something wrong. So We're going to go through and figure out why are we doing that stuff? Why does that matter? All right. How are we going to do all that learning? One primary arena. On the last weekend of every month, we're going to have a special weekend. We're going to have a guest worship team come in and lead us. The last weekend of every last weekend of every month. Worship team. International week. They're coming in and leading international worship, something way out of our comfort zone. One week, all gospel. One week, all hymns. One week, all upbeat, in-your-face craziness. Why? Because we have to learn that it's not just about a style of music. So we're going to blow it wide open. On those weeks, I'm going to lead us through the Psalms. We are going to go through and examine the whole concept of the Psalms. And every week we will go through one of each category of Psalms. And we will go through expositorily and go line by line and figure out what did David want? What did the psalmist want? What does God want? What's intriguing is in order to do that, I had to go through all 150. That was a drag. All right. I had to go through all 150, break them all out in bullet point form, put them into categories, rearrange them all just so I could teach a few of them. 
right? So it's been a little bit maddening. So we're going to go through that and hopefully get a heart of the Psalms. Now, the other piece is even more important than that piece. The second major thing I want to do with us as a, as a family is I want us to realize what worship is outside of music. I want to drill it in our heads that we were built to glorify God. Literally, it's almost a year of glory to God. How do we maximize? How do we make God look good? How do we make him famous in our hearts where we are caught up in him and thinking about him and doing things with him? How do we make him famous to our friends? How do we make him famous in our workplace? How do we make his name go up in stock? Right? That's what we're supposed to do. But how do we do that? There's a couple obvious ways that we can do that. But it's going to be a big shift for some of us. The main way that we're going to examine that is that on every other week of the year, meaning all the rest of the year, we're going to systematically go through the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles. We will study the life of David in the Life of Worship series. And we will go through all the stories, breaking down. We will examine before David what was the setup. Israel wanted a king. They brought out a king who did not have a heart for worship. That was Saul. And it didn't go well. So God took a man, a young man out of obscurity that had a heart of worship, took him and raised him up to be the greatest king of all Israel. Did he do everything right? Nope. And that's why we love him. And God loved him special. We are going to see what his life highlights in our lives. And we'll go through all those books. First Samuel, second Samuel, first Chronicles, Psalms. All Old Testament. Don't worry, we balanced it out with a year of Revelation, all right? So everybody feel even? Okay, good. Good, good, good. All right. So here's what we need to understand. Uh, if you take notes, this is note time. Um, we're going to shift into practical stuff. So uh, make sure to take out a piece of paper. If you don't have one, you need to write down some notes. I'm going to give you what I have on worship this morning. And like I said, I want you to build on it. I don't have a lot. Um, but I'll certainly make it sound like I go really long, all right? So I'll make it sound like I have a lot when I don't. So if you need to take the little card, write notes on that, whatever it is, I'm going to assume that somebody is taking some notes. Write it on your handout bulletin, stuff like that, um, if that helps you out. So let's pray for this morning, and let's dive into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you allow us to do with you, how you allow us to participate in things that are dramatic, things that are amazing, things that are life-changing. Lord, you don't need us. You've never needed us, but you sure want us. So, Father, we offer up our lives to you. We sit at your feet and we ask that you would teach us and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's break this out. There are two Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are most commonly used for worship. Uh, of course, there are more than two, but I came up with two most common words. And the first one is shakah. Now, this is how it's spelled. S-H-A-C-H-A-H. Shakah. S-H-A-C-H-A-H. What does it mean? It means to bow down before. It's used for falling down on your face before, to fall prostrate before to bow your head in reverence it's an honor move of adoration 
For example, this was a time when uh, you would see the glory of God. These men would write in the Bible like John saw Revelation and all these other guys. The minute they see God as he is, they hit the deck and fall down. That's this word. There's another word. It's called abad, A-B-A-D. A lot easier to write. A-B-A-D. Abad means to serve or work on God's behalf. It was used of the Levites, the temple workers, that if they did something for God in partnership with God, it was called worship. Adoration, service. All right, let's go to the New Testament. In the New Testament, which is Greek, we have two primary words that are used. First one, I'm going to spell it for you first. P-R-O-S-K-Y-N-E-O. Proskuneo. Proskuneo means to kiss, to adore, to kneel before, to prostrate oneself in homage, to show respect, literally to throw a kiss towards because you're enamored by. Adoration. Guess what the second word that is most commonly translated worship in the New Testament is? What do you think it means? To work and serve. Hey, shocking. It's exactly like the Old Testament. Weird. That word is latruo. L-A-T-R-E-U-O. It means to minister, work for God, serve, perform a religious service, offer sacrifice, and it's used of a hired servant, not one who's forced to do it. If you want to know if you worship, ask two questions. Am I adoring or am I serving? Always ask those because that biblically is what worship means. If you can do those in music, awesome. If you can do those outside of music, awesome. Right? So, really, it's loving God and loving people, yeah? Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second was service, which is likewise love your neighbor as yourself. That is a heart of worship. All right. So the key elements of worship are adoration. Let's talk about what adoration means. Ready? What does adoration mean? To regard with utmost esteem, to love, respect, honor, like very much, admire, however you want to say it. What does that look like? Okay. Adoration. Brand new relationship. You just met somebody you're totally into. You can't stop thinking about them. You can't stop running scenarios in your head. You think about opportunities to get back near them. Maybe for some of us that are not in relationships, it's the idea of getting something new. And you're constantly going, I can't wait to get back to that. I remember, um, even in a simple way, um, I remember the first time we had pu a puppy at home. And I kept wanting to get home so I could go play with the puppy because it was this draw. And I kept running scenarios where when I get home, then the puppy's going to run and jump up and, and he's so cute and blah, 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 blah. Okay. All those are the loaded concept of adoring. All right. Love. What does it mean to love God? I want you to think about your kids. When you see your kids sleep and you're drawn toward them to hold them, that's loaded in this term. All right. Respect and admire. Imagine the person that you're role modeling after. Is it business? 
where you know this person is solid in business. They're the biggest, the baddest, the best. And so you try to do everything. You organize your desk like they do. You read every book that they put out. Let's say it's athletics. You look and you go, I want to run like this. I want to be the, you know, a safety like Troy Polamalu, or I want to be able to do this, or I want to do that. And I want to know how would he do this? How would she train? How would she strike the ball here? How would that? If you're constantly thinking about that person and you respect them so much, you'll actually alter your life to be like them. That's this word, right? What about honor? Do you know how to honor somebody? Picture a king's coming over for dinner. Literally, a king is coming over to your house for dinner. How would you prepare? You'd probably put a lot of effort into it, first of all. You'd prepare beforehand, you'd get everything ready, so that by the moment this guy arrives, you greet him at the door, you make him feel good for showing up, you thank him for his presence, then you sit him down at the table, you have something for him, you consistently try to make him feel welcomed in your house, you entertain him to some degree, you try to give him something, and when he leaves, you thank him for being with you. That's in this term. How much of all that is happening in your heart with God? If it's dry, you know why worship is so hard. You understand? Do you like God? Are you interested in God? Does he stimulate any type of feeling in you? Or is he just a fact? We have to get to a heart of worship. All right, the other piece is service, helping somebody out, right? How do we serve a guy who doesn't need us? Right? Really, it's kind of how do you buy a present for somebody that has everything? It, it kind of seems weird. God doesn't need us. He's never needed us. He doesn't need me to preach to you. Come on. Really? You think he can't get you this message some other way? He'll give you a book. He'll do something. He'll get your friends to talk about it. He can put it on the radio. He doesn't need me. I'm an interchangeable part. So why am I doing it? Because he let me play along. He let me partner with him. And he said, hey, Lance, I want to change some lives. You want to do it? I said, yeah, let's go. To me, that's exciting. So he said, all right, I want you to get up in the pulpit. And here's a message I want you to give. All right, I'll go do that. And so I got to partner with him. But understand, you're not doing the results. You're sharing time with your Lord, right? couple thoughts on that one. Be used by him and serve other people. Either adoring or service comes from a mindset. You adore someone because you feel like it, right? Let's be very basic. You serve someone because you think they're worthy of being served. You adore them or admire them because they're worthy of being admired. Here's the problem with that. You can't just make it up. They are secondary emotions, like fear. Let's, let's do this one. This will be fun. On the count of three, everyone be afraid. Okay? Not, like, seriously, so we're going to do this. One, two, three. Everyone immediately have fear strike your heart. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> hey, that was awesome. See? Now they're working it. All right? That's why junior high is here. Yeah. The rest of you guys are boring. As much as we present it, you didn't feel it. You're not afraid of me. I, well, maybe you are. I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, walk, I spit a lot when I talk, you guys. So if I'm walking over here, be afraid. All right. You can't just choose to have a secondary emotion. Something must provoke it. Adoration's that way. You don't just get to walk into church and Jake walks up here and goes, let's worship the Lord, and you go. It actually can't work like that. Um, he'd like to try to help work on it with you, but he cannot command it. You can't just suddenly start doing that. You can't go, hurry up and love now. That's not going to fly. Something has to start it. So how do we fix this? If we adore someone because they're worthy of being adored, if we serve someone because they're worthy of being served, how do we fix the fact that some of us aren't serving the Lord? How do we fix that? Where literally you're going, I totally love the Lord. Adoration's not my problem. I'm totally into God. But you know what? My life is like up, down, up, down. Sometimes I'm bailing out of my faith and sometimes I'm back in. And you know what? Honestly, I'm not doing anything for the Lord. Everything in my, in my day planner, everything in my checkbook all says I'm living for me. How do you fix that? Well, we just went through the year of servanthood, so I'm not going to recap all 2010 for you. Right? We learned and had it driven through our minds what servanthood means. We know some of us how to serve. So let me just remind you of a couple things. First one, and this is very, very important. Pride ruins service from being an act of worship. If you're doing something out of pride, it immediately is taken off the altar. It doesn't count. Any act of service that is to be worship has to be done from humility. Uh, second thing, it has to come from a motive of obedience. You don't say, I gave to the United Way so I can feel better at night about myself. I shared of my wealth so I don't feel greedy. Those are all insufficient. They don't count for worship. You must give of your time, talents, efforts, because your king likes it. If your king likes it, it's valuable. So what do we periodically have to do? Keep checking back up with the king. God, do you like what I'm doing? Because if you don't like that, I'll just go ahead and stop that. He's only going to empower you to do the stuff he asked you to do. Not everything you want to do. Right? So we got to watch that on service a little bit. But bottom line, he wants to go on a road trip with you. I always dream about the idea of taking my daughters one at a time on a little road trip. I just think that'd be fun where we go and we hang out and see a couple different things. That's really what this life is. Your father is asking you to go on a road trip through this life. Hey, you want to go do something fun? Hey, let's play dumb games in the car. Okay, let's play games like the alphabet game, right? Everybody knows the alphabet game. Love that game. I just played with Sarah Lee the other day. Sarah Day the other day. Um, You look out, you try to find A, B, C. These are just dumb games, right? But they're a blast when you're hanging out together because it's not about the game. It's about doing something together. Then what? There's a little game of slug bug. Anybody play slug bug? Yeah, that's awesome. You see, yeah, you see a bug, bam, you just nail somebody in the car. All right. Okay. So the bottom line is you're on a road trip and then you stop by and you see cool stuff. Here's the really fun thing about going on a road trip with God is he goes, I made that. And you go, wow, that was cool. You don't care if it's the Grand Canyon or whatever it is. Normally we have to go, wow, look at that. Look what God made. And God will go, I made it. Isn't that awesome? Right? That's what he's trying to get you to do, to go through life that way. That's a heart of worship. Now, most of us, we may be a little better in the service area, but we really, really struggle in the adoring, falling in love, I'm totally into God thing. 
So let's spend the rest of our time trying to figure that one out. Because I know that's where a lot of you struggle. Because you've told me. Sometimes when people try to help you in this area, you'll feel fake. Okay, so if I say this, uh, let, oh, let's take Jake for her example again. And he says, all right, everybody stand in worship. Do you think everybody wants to stand? No, come on. A whole bunch of people are like, that's dumb. I don't want to stand. But I don't want to be awkward sitting down guy either. That's lame. So I'm probably going to stand. And we all stand up and you're like, oh, here, we, oh, we're clapping. Look at us. Woo, here we go. I don't want to clap. I don't even know what I'm talking about. All right. What Jake's trying to do is provoke something in you, but it feels fake. You have to determine if you're faking it or making it. Two different things. If you continue to fake it, it's not worship. If you're trying to stimulate in your heart new ways of thinking by doing something outside your comfort zone, that is making it totally different. So yes, do we change posture? Do we do things out of the ordinary in order to provoke adoration? Of course we do. That's why there's directions. That's why Jake will tell you when to stand or when to sit or we're going to do this because he's leading us to do it as a team. How do we get everyone on the same page? Get a leader, right? Kind of seems pretty practical to me, but I want you to know something. Even you trying is honoring. I know that there's a million times you're going to come into worship, you're totally distracted, and you're going to get into it, and you're going to be like, I don't want to raise my hands. I don't want to raise my hands. All right, here we go. I'm not into it. I'm not into it. I can't think. I can't think. I can't think. And then by the last strum, you go, I'm in. Right? Do you understand all that struggle and strain is honoring to God? Because he's looking at you and smiling going, good attempt awesome okay i really appreciate that kid all right tiger we'll get him next time all right because because i really got nothing from you on that one but all right that was really cool that you tried because uh, you're struggling for him and you're doing your best for him so a lot of the people that you see that are praising god are not into it yet but they're altering their environment to try to get into the right heart just understand that they're not trying to be fake they're trying to make something that doesn't exist yet. Either we need to think different thoughts, internal motivator, which means focusing on the word of God, remembering what he did this week for you to get into that, right? Or external motivator, go to church, be in a small group, listen to worship CDs, change your environment, right? Because we are environmental creatures. It affects us. Just think about watching a movie without the soundtrack. Just, yeah, 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 he, yeah. Mike's deaf. He's like, I do it all the time. That was awesome. Good job. Okay. For the rest of us. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> that wasn't a hard stretch. Okay. <laughs> do you understand how much it sets a tone? Do you understand what the difference is? You have to create things if it's not helping you out. And yet we all know that certain things lead up and create a mood. Music is extraordinarily powerful. How do we utilize it to adore? These are things that we need to ask ourselves. All right, what about respect? Some of us are so cynical we don't respect anybody. We walk through life and we are quite convinced that everyone else is lame. 
we walk through and we think, you know what? Nobody's that intelligent. Nobody's that smart. Nobody's that incredible. So you know what? Quite frankly, I'm not impressed by anybody, including God. So we go through in this very kind of yeah, yeah, yeah attitude, right? And what that is, is like, for example, somebody will say, hey, isn't God amazing? He created little kids. I mean, they come like out of almost nowhere. It's all of a sudden there's this being in front of you. Isn't that a miracle? And you go, yeah, well, science kind of figured that one out and blah, blah, blah. And then you completely destroy it. Then they go, look at those mountains. Aren't they beautiful? And you're like, well, after the fire, it kind of ruined the trees and blah, you know. And you're like, okay, you're destroying everything. Everything's cynical. Every time you look at God, you're just not impressed because you're not impressed by anything. What if there was, let's say you're at a job and a brand new CEO shows up. And that CEO comes walking through the office and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's here. He's here. Did anybody see where he's here? Oh, that guy's amazing. I can't believe we got him. That's the best take we've ever had. Now our company's going to go this way. He's a visionary and he's brilliant. He's one of the most humble, nicest guys you've ever met. I can't wait for you to meet this guy. And when he walks down the hallway, people kind of look down a little bit and say, good morning, sir. And everybody, and he goes, Hey, how you doing? He's super nice, but they all kind of have their hearts low and, and they have this, all this respect for him. And you're looking at him going, he's just a guy probably puts his pants on one leg at a time. Why am I impressed by this guy? So what? And they go, no, 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 you don't understand. This guy's amazing. You're like, all right. You got two choices. Either you fake it or you make it. If you fake it and you just go, ah, you're awesome, and you just do that so you don't get fired, that has no place in God's house. If you then go, all right, I'm going to take it on faith that this guy's amazing. My buddies think he's amazing, so obviously they're seeing something I'm not. So I'm going to extend him respect until I find out. When he walks down the hallway, you say, good morning, sir. Knowing that if you get close to him, you'll be amazed. That, I believe, is how we begin to work towards respecting our God. A couple other things on this. I think either somebody's worthy of us being impressed or they're not. You got to make a decision. Is God worthy to be impressed by or not? I mean, because really, we're, we're not most of us aren't impressed. Why? Well, either he's worthy of it, meaning he actually does really, really cool stuff. There's just something wrong with us. Or he's actually no big deal. F figure that one out right up front. It's got a big deal or not. All right. If he's a big deal and you don't feel that he's a big deal, we got one of three problems going on. And I think we can do something to fix it. All right. First one, disconnection. You know what? Some of us aren't close to God at all. We put in no effort to be near God. God is not impressive at a distance. Not in this cynical age. Because we see too many other things that make it look impressive. Our media has saturated us to not be impressed. Maybe we're disconnected. It's why the world can't worship. Worship is relational. It's the reason why mediocre, lukewarm Christians have a hard time worshiping, too. They haven't spent any time with God. We never read the Bible. I don't read books. Okay. Grow up. Figure that one out. Because it's kind of hard to learn if you don't read. Well, I got it on audio. All right. Then get it on audio. All right. Now, if you have a learning disability, that's different. But 
If you can read and you don't read and you put no effort into reading the Bible, then something is wrong with you. Because you're not going to be impressed by something you don't know about. And so, yeah, you're going to walk into worship and go, I got nothing. Everyone's going to be like, oh, I'm all into God, I'm all into God. And you're like, why? Because they read something you didn't. And they know that God's impressive. Disconnection. What about the next one? And I think this next one is probably the majority of our problem here. Let's say you know that you love God. I mean, you're dialed in, you know you love God, but you just can't get there. I'd say number two is your problem, distraction. Yeah? Distraction, what does that mean? It means it has shared space. You're trying to look at God and stuff is flying in front of him. You got thoughts about this and thoughts about that and this thing's taking in, this is temptation and this is challenging your mind and this is, you can't see him. You know he's there, you know he's impressive, but you can't laser focus on anything. I think this is an increasing problem in our culture. We can't focus on any one thing for any long length of time. That's why we change jobs all the time and change marriages all the time. Because we can't hone in on one thing for any length of time. Our culture has taught us to switch up and get the next product. We've lost the ability to focus. And so we walk into church and we can't see God. All right, it's the last one. Distortion. You're looking at God, he's right in front of you, and you interpret it wrong. Why would you do that? Well, first problem, maybe you're just selfish. You're looking at him, and you're looking at how it affects me. And he's not impressive, because he hasn't done anything for you lately, right? Everyone else will go, isn't it so amazing about how he's breaking open China, right? Because now China used to be completely locked down on Christianity, but now these churches are rising up, and these missionaries are having inroads, and they're becoming more and more of a Christian nation. Isn't that awesome? And you got nothing. And that affects me how? That doesn't affect me. That's like a million years away. All right, so yeah, okay, cool. Yay, God, you're opening China. So anyway, I'm in a bad market right now, and I lost my house, and so I don't think... Right? Distortion. Maybe some of us, it's distorted because of pain. You think God hurt you. You can't write a love letter to a mean person. Right? Isn't that some of our problem? You allowed your circumstance to dictate your view of God. And it twisted him in your mind. And when you look at him, you see an abuser. And you won't worship. Here's what's ironic about it. It didn't stop Old Testament saints. You go, what do you mean? I mean this. Here is David writing... God, you're shooting arrows at my face. I love you. Right? What did Job say? Though you slay me, yet will I worship you. Their circumstance, knowing full well who was throwing daggers at them, that God was against them, they still worshiped and praised. What do they know that we don't know? Maybe you can't worship because it's flat-out spiritual warfare. You got so much demon stuff hanging off of you, you can't even focus. You can't do anything. Because if Satan allows you to worship, 
he's doomed. Has that not always been his game? Garden of Eden. Hey, Adam and Eve. So God's holding out on you, right? Maybe you need to switch allegiances. Hey, don't go after me. I'm only a snake. Maybe you want to go after yourself. Maybe you want to pick the tree because then you'll be like God and your eyes will be open. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just switch your allegiance from God to self. When he's walking with Jesus in the desert of temptation, what did he say? If you're the son of God, why don't you bow down and worship me? Just switch allegiances. I'll give you what you want. Satan has always wanted worship to switch allegiances. And he will hunt you down and try to get in your way. Or maybe your problem is bad theology. You don't even know who God is. And the God that you made was only a little bit impressive. That you made a God that was nice. And then chaos hit, knocked him right out. God will not allow you to reshape him for any length of time, not if you're his kid. He will blow your world apart. He will come in with all the fury in the world, drop tragedy on you like a ton of bricks and go, stop thinking of me like that. I am like this. Don't tell me what I'm like. Do not walk around pretending what I'm like because you're not very impressed with what you made. Be impressed by what I made. Be impressed about who I am. I'll tell you this. God is awesome. And the closer you get to him, the more you know, the more impressed you will be. I know some of us are fearful that if we really ran that line and pushed it up, we're going to be embarrassed. No, you're not. Not if it's the real deal. You press into God. You get to know God. Know what he's like. Know what he does. And he will blow your mind. Let's close in prayer and we have a really encouraging video as we close out. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. So many of us are now saved. Saved from ourselves because of your glorious mercy and grace. Teach us how to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.